Shalom, and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. My dear friends, in case you didn't know, the Torah is filled with stories of rebellions against Moses. And the greatest rebellion ever orchestrated is the one we've been reading about this week and on this Shabbat, when Korach, the lead rebel, who was a Levite, like Moses and Aaron, insists that the entire community is holy. Sounds good so far, right? And who are you, Moses and Aaron, in your position of authority over this community? And they get hundreds of people to rebel. And God, in the Torah, punishes the rebels by having an earthquake swallow them alive. And perhaps as a way of emphasizing the destructiveness of Korach's behavior, when you read the rest of the portion, God re-emphasizes the sacred duties of the Levites this week in the Torah's book of Numbers. Descent disagreement is not only fine in Judaism. From a Jewish lens, even rebellion can become holy, which may be why the fire pans of the rebels who were swallowed up were still hammered into the permanent altar as a way of saying the right kind of questioning will become an important theme in Jewish life if it serves the greater cause, if it serves the people and not oneself. Would you believe the early rabbis even ascribed certain psalms in the Bible to have been written by the children of this rebel Korach? In other words... It's fine to disagree. Somebody in the congregation said to me, we don't discuss politics, said, I bet we agree on 70% of everything. What's the point? The writings and prayers of rebels and even the name of this week's Torah portion is part of our sacred literature. Rebellion and questioning is encouraged. But, 
only for the right aims. Moses, the record shows, behaved justly. While it appears that Korach's rebellion was not what was best for the community and for the welfare of the majority. The welfare of the majority while protecting the minority is what counts most. I know where your mind's going. Fringes in the religious world or the political world on both ends love rebellion and gaining power not necessarily doing what is wisest. I want to teach you tonight, and the teachers are really here tonight from Ranana, Israel, because we know a lot about the Supreme Court in America. If you're ever despairing about the political divide in America, just read about what's going on in Israel. And read about the Supreme Court in Israel, but I want to begin with Alexander Hamilton, who characterized the judiciary as, and I quote, the least dangerous branch of government because it has neither the sword nor the purse. It relies for its authority on the judgment, independence, integrity, and dignity of the judges who must be perceived, this is the American Alexander Hamilton, who must be perceived by the citizenry as nonpartisan and fair. When judges and justices intrude too deeply into electoral issues, they risk being seen, whether correctly or not, as political and subject to democratic accountability, which may endanger their independence. But when they remain too passive... In the face of injustice, they risk diminishing their important role as the guarantor of the rule of law in a democracy. It's a delicate balance to strike. But for the sake of democracy and the rule of law, it must be struck wisely. This is not the time, as we read Korach, rebels, to further politicize great institutions like the Supreme Courts of Israel and America. But both are clearly taking big hits. Let me just share with you about the judges in Israel. There are 15 on their Supreme Court. They don't all hear every case. And they get vetted not by the prime minister or president, but by a jury of the best legal minds in the Israel Bar Association, justice ministers, and a committee of peers. And with all the attention this week on Trump's, uh, the pre former president's three conservative justices who overturned Roe v. Wade, or on this week's uh, presidential uh, appointment uh, by Biden of the first female African-American justice, most people don't know that Israel also appointed four new justices to its Supreme Court in recent months. Now get this, all four of the Israeli retirees are identified with the court's liberal wing. Who are the new four? Appointed not by the prime minister or president, but by a judicial appointments committee. The four include two more women on the court with women, 
and Israel's, get this, first Muslim Supreme Court justice. Two of the four are considered liberals. One is viewed as a moderate conservative, and the fourth leans conservative. The goal of the Israeli Supreme Court is to reflect the greatest swath of Israeli society in judicial perspective and viewpoint. That approach is under attack in Israel right now, the whole way they do it, by rebels, just as the American Supreme Court is moving at an accelerating pace in a particular direction. In fact, the justices are siding objectively with what America has been over the urbanized, religiously diverse country that America and Israel are both becoming. The resistance to change is what is happening in both our country and Israel. And so is tearing down the opposition, literally tearing them down. Israel dissolved its parliament this week, and if you haven't read the headlines, the war is on between Yair and Yair. Yair Lapid is the leader of the current majority that just dissolved. The other Yair is Benjamin Netanyahu's son, who is a brilliant political operative too. So the war right now is beginning in Israel to gain power in its parliamentary democracy, in its Knesset, with elections October 25th. And we pray that whether in this country or in our spiritual homeland, we don't have what Korach did. We don't have rebellion for the wrong aims. What's most important to me about the Korach rebellion and the state of these Supreme Courts, whether it's the U.S. Supreme Court or the emphasis on quality in the Israeli Supreme Court legally, are not the details of the Korach episode or whether the best legal minds of the day are making final legal decisions that affect everyday Americans and Israelis, and in this country, women. What is most important are the implications, I believe, in terms of our humanity. The Korach rebels this week describe Moses in very harsh and heavy language. Moses is presented as the unkind, cold-hearted, rigid leader. But in their commentary to the text, the rabbinic sages suggest that Moses was not uncompromising at all. He always kept his door open for Korach and his associates, Datan and Aviram, the other leaders of the rebels. According to Midrash, filling in the blanks of the Torah, when Moses invites these rebels into his camp, Moses' advisors say, what are you doing, Moses? Both of them They've been spiteful rebels. They only encourage conflict. They don't do what's best for the community. Why should you talk to them? It's beneath your dignity as a leader. But the commentators continue. It was in the spirit of what was best for the community, in the spirit of shalom, that Moses went to them himself. Moses was known 
as Ish Anava, a man of deep humility, which doesn't mean that Moses thought little of himself. What Ish Anava being humble means in Judaism is being aware that there are realities greater than you, like the people you're serving, the community, God. Moses would never permit personal pride to interfere with communal peace. Let me repeat that. He would never permit personal pride to interfere with communal peace. Now, not peace at any price, but a peace grounded in understanding and respect for different points of view. The rabbis not only cited Moses as an example, they urged their students, I don't want to lose you in the Hebrew, so I'll translate if you read the Mishnah, be of the disciples of Aaron, loving peace, pursuing peace, rodef shalom, and making peace with your fellow, even within your family. The first word which any Hebrew-speaking Jewish person extends to another is shalom. We say shalom alechem, and you say back alechem shalom. The Hebrew word for peace. At every service like tonight, in every synagogue in the world, we just prayed for shalom rav. We strive for peace in every facet of our religious observance. But the lesson of the sedra as I close applies to more personal concerns than the problems of global politics or the Supreme Court. The pursuit of shalom is imperative in our family lives and our private lives. I told a couple going through counseling that when a spouse in the heat of anger speaks an unkind word or performs a thoughtless act Shalom is a distant ideal. More often than not, one party seeks retaliation more than reconciliation. A family member who's hurt by the other will often stew in silence or fight back with words and accusations that hurt even more. Rare is the couple who resolve their differences quietly, peacefully, how much more productive it would be we learned from the Torah this week in our private lives, in our community, if we handled things more like Moses' example. No one can ever eliminate, nor would we want to eliminate, all the differences among Americans, Israelis, among human beings. But we can learn to live with those differences. We must to love and appreciate each other regardless of our disagreements, so long as we recognize, like Moses, the need to find wholeness and peace and what is best for the community is the ultimate aim, not our ideology or personal glory. Amen.